Recording initiated. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we could uh, do an episode. There we begin. Welcome to Super Superstitious. The paranormal podcast about the science behind the spooky and the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And we are back again with another special report. Super Superstitious special report, which uh, if you're unfamiliar, if you're a new listener or you haven't heard those before... Uh, it's a two-part deep dive into a topic that we choose where the first week kind of follows a format of a normal sort of ep where we each take turns telling a, a story or giving an account or otherwise talking about a particular topic of our choosing. And then uh, in part two, in the second week, uh, we will do a sort of deep dive into the science behind that topic those stories or just generally uh, looking more into the how why who and what uh but never the when of um <laughs> whatever we have sort of more recreationally enjoyed the week before so the first episode you'll laugh the second one you'll learn and uh together <laughs> it's we'll come good for it yeah <laughs> it's good exclamation point parentheses question mark close exactly Previous special reports have included, let's see, episodes 13 and 14. We talked about visits from outer space. Mm -hmm. First kind of look at that. Uh, Episodes 19 and 20, we looked at popular New Age beliefs, mostly concepts of energy and stuff like that. Episodes 39 and 40, we talked about belief in stuff in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary. Mm Mm-hmm. 50 and 51, we talked about paranormal research, mm-hmm. dug into the methods used and really how much research is actually involved. How do we distinguish pseudoscience from science science? Exactly. And then uh, episode 70 and 71, we did our missing 411 special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, episodes 81 and 82, we covered movie monster biology, which is a fun, goofier one. Oh, yeah. That was a good time. Yeah. So that, those are all one. If you haven't checked out a special report before, those are the previous six. That means this is our seventh special report. Oh, yeah. The lucky number seven. And what better number uh, of special report than this one to do superstitions for? Yep. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, of course, mean that we're going to talk about superstitions on this special report. I think before we launch into our selected topics for the day, our stories that we've gathered that neither of us knows exactly, we can sort of set the table with some definitions of what is it to be superstitious, which is essentially taking happenstance, chance events, personally. Yeah. It is to believe that the events of one's life, things experienced, are somehow connected to one's own either intention or energy or narrative in such a way that it isn't just chance, it's somehow faded, it's somehow causal. That's right. And so a lot of it comes down to the concept of luck, luck as separate from, yeah, random chance. So the word luck in English doesn't show up until like the late 15th century. Uh, it came from the Low German, Dutch, or Frisian Luck, which is a short form of Middle High German Gelukke. There's also the old Slavic word Luki, which means appointed by destiny, and the old hmm. Russian uh, Lukai, which means destiny or fortune. Mm-hmm. So a lot of just different, different versions of it that all sim- have a similar sort of background in terms of meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like luck 
in English uh, started out as a gambling term specifically. Hmm. So, which kind of makes it, after all, luck is based on interpretation of a personal chance event. At least as far as Wikipedia is concerned, luck tends to have three main characteristics, <laughs> which is uh, it's either good or bad. It's the result of chance, and it applies to a sentient being. And yeah, before we dumb dumb English folks adopted the notion of luck at the end of the Middle Ages, Old English and Middle English expressed the concept of good fortune mm. instead with the word speed, which in Middle English would have been S-P-E-D-E. Uh, at the time, besides good fortune, speed had the also wider meaning of prosperity, profit, or abundance. Hmm. So not so much associated with the notion of probability or chance, but rather with that of fate or divine help. So this is where you'll sometimes hear the term Godspeed as like a phrase of like, have, you know, best of luck to you, Godspeed. Yeah. You black emperor. And uh, <laughs> they would also use the more clunky Christ be our speed. <laughs> both of which are kind of weird. Both of which have very much faded from frequent use. Yes. And uh, pretty much until doing a little bit of homework for this episode, I did not fully understand that Godspeed meant that. <laughs> I didn't until you said it just now. So that's pretty I cool. I always thought it was a weird thing. And I was like, yeah. thanks, I guess. <laughs> I think Brian Regan had a bit in his stand-up about, um, was like, oh, he's going at Godspeed now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. Speed is so associated with velocity now, I feel. <laughs> yes. But right. This was this is all just pre-luck era. Yeah, and, and you brought the idea of it being kind of yeah, divine intervention as opposed to just um you know, sheer random happenstance kind of stuff. So the probability right. part of the whole deal in terms of luck comes out of the Latin loan word chance, which started getting mm. used in Middle English around the late thirteenth century. Uh, it literally describes an outcome as falling. Um, mm. So oftentimes it was talking about the idea of like, you know, playing with dice, they oh, have yeah. those fall. So that's kind of why the meaning was that literal. Uh, Fortuna, the Roman goddess of fate or luck, was popular as an allegory in medieval times. Mm. So even though, you know, Roman pantheon stuff wasn't necessarily totally in line with Christian stuff, it did <laughs> right. nonetheless become popular in the high Middle Ages, saying that Fortuna was a servant of God who distributed success or failure in <laughs> a kind of... An uh, honorary higher angel or some shit. <laughs> yeah, and, and she would distribute that success or failure in a sort of um, fickle way, which right. is how you get the notion of it being sort of chance. I see. So you got to pray to her and just hope things go well. Yeah. That's where you get like, kind of good or bad luck kind of comes from that, and that sort of leads us into what superstition is, right? Right. Exactly. I was going to say, that really helps to have in mind as we return to... What does it mean to be superstitious? What does a superstition entail? Which is, we kind of talked about it already, but you can sort of think about the superstitious mind as one that takes these qualities of luck or chance subjectively rather than objectively. So these events that are simply occurring are taken personally as good or bad, which of course is all relative, but also with this in mind, the consequence of a person's individual or particular luck. If you're having good luck, things that you find favorable are due to that and, you know, a series of bad events. I mean, I'll be today talking about the sort of dark side of luck and superstition. Mm -hmm. So the reason your car broke down, you stubbed your toe, got a ticket, and then caught a sore throat is not because your car is very old, you simply didn't see the curb, and you were forced to abandon your car to wander through a cold spring night to find a ride before recording a podcast, but is instead <laughs> because something is wrong 
with you. I take it that none of this is from personal experience. No. <laughs> uh, no. Um, so I do have some more uh, etymology stuff, kind of like I had with luck. So with superstition, the word was first used in English in the 15th century. It was borrowed from French superstition, which is just Ooh. from Latin superstitio. So just a lot of the same word being used different ways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it turns uh, out. Its earliest known use as an English noun is in the 1420 uh, Piers Plowman adjacent work, Friar Da's Reply. Which I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is all It's like a bunch of, I don't know, It's it was getting too dense for me. People who are into that kind of history stuff will maybe know what I'm talking about. I don't really feel like getting into it more than that. But no, no. It's a quote in Friar Da's Reply, which is... um. Where the four general sins are enumerated as seditions, superstitions, the gluttons, and the proud. Wow. And a uh, fun thing about that is that in the like, the word the in both cases is written um, with the old English letter thorn, which we Ooh. have mentioned before, I think, in the past. Nowadays, the capital letter thorn tends to look like a capital Y. And so when you see something that says, looks like it says ye old something, it's actually the old something. So that's what that's all about. Yes. Uh, I, I, I do think I brought that up before, but I just think it's super fun and fun right. to, to bring up again. And with the earliest known use in general before English and stuff uh, is in just some Roman shit with the meaning of the art of divination. <laughs> it was used even say? then with the same negative connotation that it has now, which is... um. Excessive right. fear of the gods or unreasonable religious belief. In contrast with religio, the proper reasonable awe of the gods. Ah. So sort of like uh, well-founded beliefs versus like flighty superstition. Superstition. It's like, you know, it's like superstition. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> but That's yeah, so based on this understanding of what luck and superstition are, all what we're dealing with, why don't we dive into some examples? I think I go first with um, some sort of good luck stuff, and then maybe you'll follow up with some... Uh, mm, that'll bring us right back down. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so I am going to start out with a classic, uh, but then I'll hit you up mm. with something a little more modern that is quite fun. Mm -hmm. So to begin with, I have an article from ghostlyactivities.com oh boy uh ghostly activities is the name of a paranormal research group because of course it is <laughs> and uh this particular article is written by jacob rice of that group in 2017 hmm, okay so we'll begin the article salt you can put a whammy on ghosts and evil spirits if you ever need some last minute protection pour a protective circle and get inside it people have used salt for protection against ghosts and spirits for a long time like before the Did you write out a bunch of O's for long? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven O's. Oh, that's a lucky number of O's. You're right. Uh, so, so for a long time, like before the Bible, Quran, and Torah were even written, uh, its powers even crossed the religious spectrum. Hindus, Buddhists, Wiccans, both ancient and modern, and other pagans use salt in their religious practices today. So just as a point of order, Wicca, both ancient and modern, here can only refer, I assume, to Wicca in the 1920s or 30s and Wicca now, because <laughs> that is the age of that particular religion. That's amazing. As for ghost hunters, we use it when all hell breaks loose on an investigation as a kind of panic room for the paranormal. <laughs> we'll fill you in on that part under the next section. So what makes salt so special? The real reason is probably lost to history, but we have some mm. clues in different religious texts and cultural practices. Nathan Brown, who wrote the book on Supernatural, the TV show Mythology, 
states, The Celts used it to ward off bad luck. Ancient Hebrews would throw salt over their shoulders to also ward off bad luck, though there are conflicting reports on this statement. Jesus referenced the power of salt during the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Muhammad referenced salt as one of four blessings in the Hadith, tes- uh, hadith texts. I don't know how to say it. Hadith texts. Hindus mix salt and water to purify new homes of evil spirits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, said so in Japan, a common Shinto practice uses salt to also bar evil spirits from a room, as well as salting the wrestling ring for sumo matches. Hmm. Some Wiccan traditions use salt to purify an altar or ceremonial space before they begin their religious practice or magic. So again, mm-hmm. it's important to cite a religion that started in the 20th century when looking for support <laughs> of how traditional it practices. Yes, this is how we learn. Yeah. So the article goes on to say, I think it's safe to say that salt is a powerful element from our physical world and it can expunge entities that don't belong in this plane. Oh, we don't know why anyone does this stuff, but here's just a bunch of examples of people doing it. And therefore but we know it, based on a, our superstition about it that yes. it's real. <laughs> it's a very self-reinforcing thing. Um, yes. So how to use salt for protection against ghosts and spirits. And bad flavor. <laughs> exactly. There's a few ways to use salt for protection. Some of them, like as a part of holy water, are covered in earlier posts. I'll list other articles at the end of this section. So as far as I can tell, <laughs> this refers to the production of the not as widely known substance, holy saline. Holy saline, yeah. I also like that they're like, look, we already talked about salt and holy water, guys. I'm not going to go over that weird <laughs> exactly. thing again. I know you're bored of it by now, probably. And I tried to find like where they talked about it, but it wasn't, it wasn't immediately hyperlinked. So I was like, well, that's I guess that's just the thing I'm going to accept. Yep. So they say, uh, first, you can use most salt available at the grocery store. Look for these kinds. Kosher salt, regular salt, a.k.a. table salt, like Morton's or Diamond Crystal, sea salt. A few folks have asked about rock salt and Himalayan salt. There's no special benefit Mm. to using these over the other salts listed above. Hmm. So just any old salt. Uh, Once you get to the haunted place, you can take some salt into the site. I tend to leave it in the car unless I know there's a chance for ghostly violence. If a ghost or spirit attacks you, you (laughs) want to create a safe space. That means you'll either Mm. bar the ghost from entering a room... Or you have to make a protective circle. Mm. To bar a ghost from entering a room, pour a half inch wide line of salt along the following places. The floor under a door, window sills, fireplaces, vents. Hmm. The salt line should go the entire length of the window, doors, and fireplaces. For vents, you may have to pour completely around the vent or put a handful of salt into the vent. As we all know, incorporeal ghosts are limited by the walls and structures that we built as people. Exactly. Uh, now, if the spirit is in the room with you, then don't use salt. You'll lock it in the room with you, and it will be pissed. You can pour mm-hmm. the salt behind you to lock the ghost in its room. This should give you spare time to move to a safer place or get out of the haunted site. As we know, hmm. dealing with ghosts is very much akin to being in a video game. And what happens? Does the ghost die if it gets stuck in the room? I think it's just trapped there for a bit. I don't really know <laughs> what else. Then also, so you have to like seal off like every possible way in and out of a room. But if you just like put it on a door on the way out, the windows and stuff are fair go. game. So it's just like a sl- uh, stalling tactic, maybe. Right. Uh, if you can't leave, then you want to make a protective circle. There's no special secret to it. Just pour an inch wide circle around you and your team. I thought it was a half inch before. Uh, I guess it's different if uh, it's in closer quarters like that. I'm not sure. I see. The circle should be big enough for you all to turn <laughs> or take a few steps left or right. I'm imagining too if he's like an inch wide and four feet tall circle of salt. <laughs> Just make a fort out of, out of salt. Entomb yourself in salt. <laughs> 
Uh, something that just occurred to me that I hadn't thought of before is like to say, oh, you know, if you want to keep a ghost out of a room, you want to like seal it, like close it off with salt, but make sure the ghost isn't in the room with you or else you'll be trapped in with it. Right. If you're making the circle, how do you know it's not right there with you in the circle? What if it's inside the circle <laughs> with you? Oh, God. <laughs> I to make the circle and then you're in uh, worse shape. Though Especially I, because we cannot step out of the salt ring. Exactly. Made. Yep. <laughs> you're just there. <laughs> Maybe that's the best tactic of all. You get a very hauntable-looking person, get them all set up, and as soon as they feel scared, you draw a salt ring around them and have them just step out of it. Yep. <laughs> gotcha, ghost. What now, motherfucker? Yeah, exactly. You have to, like, talk into our Tamagotchis and yakbacks and stuff now. <laughs> uh, Carry on, Jake. <laughs> Let's see. Then, uh, since it also used white candles to add more protective power, I place a white candle in the north, south, east, and west sides of the circle. Then I've held another white candle. This should sound familiar to the pagans reading this article. <laughs> I'm not a pagan, but this warding has helped keep crazy spirits away. Mm-hmm. Salt's effects on other supernatural beings. Salt doesn't work for every supernatural entity. Listed below are the entities immune to salt. Fairies. Oh my god. For fairies, try silver and iron instead. Werewolves, okay. try silver. Vampires. Right, right. Yeah, vampires, try herbs. Garlic salt? How about that? If that would make sense. There you go. Demons. It depends. Salt is part of holy water, and that works against demons. Uh, Meta demons. You can defend yourself whoa. against them like you would a human criminal. <laughs> and residual. Does hauntings. that mean that demons are criminals? I don't know. Meta demons, I guess, are similar to them. Um, Wyatt, can you tell me what a meta demon is? A uh, meta demon. Let's and to be see. clear, this I is separate. I read about this this once. Separate from a mecha demon. Which is a different thing entirely and metal as hell. <laughs> Meta demon. I think it's a conspiracy held amongst evil beings that itself can commit atrocities, corruptions, and also, according to someone that we're going to meet a little bit later on in the show, can also become a friend <laughs> and help you that sounds- hurt people. <laughs> So according to this same website, uh, they do have an article explaining what metademons are. And they say, quote, metademons are creatures, entities, and beings that exist beyond, uh, behind the veil. Some people believe these are demons from hell, but that's not the case. Metademons have nothing to do with the devil or archangels. Metademons are the native inhabitants of the world be- beyond the veil, the barrier between the human world and the ghost world. These entities have never been human, and you shouldn't expect them to act like us. In most cases, they have a horrible appearance, like a fly-slash-human hybrid, but some look like regular humans until provoked. Metademons wow. cross the veil at vergers and dead spots, but they don't use ghost portals. They also don't have anchors like ghosts, so they are free to roam our world. Oh, man. In case you were curious. I, I was curious, and I feel now, as is often the case when we learn things and expand our understanding about what the world is, based on facts... I now have more questions. Yep. <laughs> um, um, but I'll save them. Yeah. We'll go back to the uh, original article. Uh, a few paranormal sites have stated fairies and vampires will stop to count each grain of salt if thrown or placed in front of them. I don't entirely believe that, but that uh, info is part of their lore. Um, and now the Ghostly Activities team experienced using salt as protection. Uh, mm. So we've only used salt a few times. In two cases, we barred the ghost in a room then used clearing techniques to remove it. In the other case, we used the protective circle with white candles. 
Once the ghost uh, used its energy, we used clearing techniques to remove any residual ghostly energy. Clearing techniques. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Say, I tend to research the suspected haunted place and ghost before I do a ghost hunt. This is the best way to know if a ghost can hurt someone. Always ask witnesses if the spirit has hurt them. If so, bring some salt. <laughs> I usually bring a pound of kosher salt with me on these cases. Wow. So, yeah, salt. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah, we tend to, at our random discretion, vary the balance between uh, you know teaser of a concept and explanation in our special reports, since they're two-parters. Mm-hmm. Uh, accordingly, I am largely going to leave the deeper digging regarding salt as a positive energy slash protective substance until next week. I uh, want to just kind that of tee, makes up, sense. tee up what what you know the the deepest possible beliefs could be about how salt can work yes so deep that they go perhaps even beyond the veil indeed uh so the stuff i'll talk about next week it does involve history it encompasses even more cultures than the supernatural show guy listed and it's generally wow. pretty neat um but Very i plan cool. to include it in the larger narrative of what we'll be hitting in part two so instead of fully exploring why salt has the centuries-old positive connotation situation that it does Let's check in with another example of a similar kind of thing that is more recent. Ooh. So here is an article from taiwannews.com.tw from this past August. Okie doke. Starting today, August 14th, limited edition easy cards will be available which are shaped like a lucky kawaii kawaii snack bag to keep gremlins away from computers during ghost month. What? Uh, Taipei's Easy Card Corporation has teamed up with Kwai Kwai Company Limited to produce 10,000 limited edition Easy Cards. The Kwai Kwai themed store value cards go on sale today for the price of uh, 190 Taiwanese dollars each. That's about six US dollars. Wow. Um, Kwai Kwai snack bags are often placed on top of or next to computers by Taiwanese office workers, especially in IT, who believe that because the name in Mandarin means obedient, or well-behaved, the device will function without problems. Mm. The green snack bags are also popular treats to give to good brothers during the ongoing ghost month. The special easy cards are 7 centimeters by 5 centimeters in size, are made to resemble a mini bag of Kawai Kawai puff corn snacks, and come with a key ring and a snap hook to um, attach to a backpack. Given the unusual shape of the easy card and its auspiciousness during ghost month, it is likely to sell like hotcakes. Okay, so there's a thing called ghost month. And you're not kidding. No, and actually, so I um, they this article is really short and sweet. It explains pretty much everything. So I'll, I'll go a little bit further. It actually tells what that means. Please go on. Actually, it explains literally every part of this within this one article. So the Easy wow, Card cool. is an e-smart card system that is used to pay for the Taipei MRT subway, uh, buses, and other public transport services in Taipei. It can also be used in convenience stores, department stores, supermarkets, taxis, and other retailers to make payments. So I think it's kind of like a tap and go type of thing all in one yeah yeah it's fun the, these look just like little bags of this um kawai kawai corn snack wow. um but it actually functions as an easy card so hopefully it'll also mean that your card reader works every time or whatever <laughs> yeah that's right uh <laughs> and they say taiwan's ghost month is when taoists and buddhists believe that the gates of hell are opened for hungry ghosts to roam the world of the living in search of food money entertainment and possibly souls a, a hungry ghost is a being that has been sent to the underworld to suffer an eternal state of hunger for their misdeeds or for not having a proper burial. The terms hmm. good brothers and good sisters are considered the preferable way to, to politely refer to those lost souls as opposed to ghosts to avoid offending them. These apparitions mm-hmm. are not worshipped by anyone as ancestors and can vary from pitiful to dangerous. 
Mm. So in Taiwan, there is a, a ghost month, which is, I think, the seventh month in the lunar calendar. Um, and then the actual ghost mm. day is like the middle of that month. So I think it was mm-hmm. September this past year. I see. But yeah, the gist here is that, yeah, there is a whole culture built around puff corn snack based luck. Wow. That's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the earliest known recorded instance of this was in 2008. As the article says, okay. it's largely done in IT, computer terminals and servers and such when functioning correctly display a green LED. So keeping a bag mm. of the coconut flavored snacks, which come in a green bag, mm. near or on the machine, ideally keep it in line. Mm-hmm. Conversely, the LEDs are typically red when stuff isn't working. So whatever you do, don't keep a bag of the red ones around. No red. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Unless you want it to break. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. Easy to dismiss this as silly, just like it's easy to dismiss the salt thing or any number of good or bad luck charms. But if you work with computers long enough or any finicky technology in general, (laughs) you best believe you'll do anything to keep that shit working correctly. This makes me think about like um, almost every lab I've ever worked in. Oh, I was going to say, you and I have both independently worked in multiple genetics research labs. I was going to say, I would bet money that at least one of the labs you worked in had some kind of talisman near the thermocyclers to keep reactions running well. Precisely. There's always a totem or talisman that... You set up either on top of the thermocycler. So a quick crash course thermocycler is basically a very complex tiny ass oven yeah. that can change temperatures over a cycle. And it does this to induce a reaction that replicates DNA so that we can actually look at it. You're basically magnifying one sentence out Make of a whole book bunch so of copies. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, the, the reactions involve a lot of components and any one part can fail and cause the whole reaction to fail. And so there is a lot of um, praying to the gods of lab work involved. (laughs) And um, you do get these charged up totems that wind up feeling very uh, necessary for things to go right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I remember back in the uh, Wilkinson lab at University of Maryland, we had like a little brain squeezy stress sponge kind of thing from like some conference that was attended years prior to anyone in the lab like you know what i mean it's like these things that people don't even remember who got it first oh yeah and yet you're still using it um that we would set on top of the thermocycler when it would run in the mcsteen lab at the university of missouri we had a little mr eppendorf it was like so the eppendorf companies um they provide um microfuge tubes oh yeah one of the times they sent like along just like a kind of promotional thing was mr eppendorf just like a um a microfuge tube with a face and arms and legs just kind of on a little Did stand kind of like the there. paperclip guy from microsoft office a little bit like that yeah except he has uh limbs <laughs> and doesn't limbs. you know jump in to correct you at different times and, oh right. it's like you're fucking up i'm gonna step in there like, yeah. no, don't. <laughs> your technique sucks <laughs> shut um, up Endorf. So we, I think, just had uh, the, I think we had Mr. Eppendorf just standing between the two thermocyclers at all times. It was there for years. So yeah, it's pretty common for anyone just like, if you're desperate enough with technology stuff, like, fuck it, whatever seems like it might work, I'll, I don't care how bullshit it seems like, I'm going to go ahead and believe in it if it'll help. So yeah, the placement of Kwai Kwai bags next to important equipment has spread to all sorts of modern professions and industries in Taiwan. Which means hmm. that because there are different flavors that come in bags of different colors, there are therefore different applications for those bags. Wow. So green bags are generally for electronic devices and computer rooms. Uh, yellow bags represent gold and thus good fortune. So these are more common mm. in banks and financial buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, red bags represent love. So the company sells limited amounts Ooh. for Valentine's Day or Mother's Day. <laughs> Can't have too many. That's right. So yeah, the red ones are also bad luck for computers, but it doesn't 
there doesn't need to be an internal logic here because it really isn't the point. No. Um, belief in Kwai Kwai induced good luck varies from person to person. And there are plenty of folks who wholeheartedly subscribe to the idea. Uh, just like there are tons of people in the U.S. who believe that, say, like a black cat is somehow bad luck. The ASPCA reports that black cats are far and away the least adopted cats in the country. Um, even though they're just they're just freaking cats. It's like there's no luck associated they're with that. The but darn cutest, too. I would adopt a black cat. Yeah, if you're in the U.S. and in a place to support a cat, yeah, adopt a black cat. We can say, oh, it's dumb that you believe that your snack is causing luck, but like you, you believe a freaking cat is. Every culture has something like this that is just like massively understood to just be true and yeah. accepted. And I, I will say too, with like the good luck charm kind of things, it's like, what's the harm? You know, oh, totally. Go ahead, stick a stick a bag of Doritos on your computer. Like exactly. who cares? Exactly. Uh, I did try to access a different article about how much people believe in this. But the translation provided by Google Chrome was just terrible. <laughs> it was very <laughs> fun, but just not helpful. Mm-hmm. Generally, folks in Taiwan are very self-aware about this whole corn snack culture. And I think that's fairly well summed up by the holiday promotional tie-in that the company and um, the city <laughs> of Taipei did this past year. Mm-hmm. So it's just another fun superstition out there. I like that very much. Before we go into the dark side of these things, yes. I uh, dare say... We mention our fine, fine supporter of the show, Four Phantoms. The brewing company. In western Massachusetts, mm-hmm. combining elements of D&D, heavy metal, and beer to make very good-ass beer. <laughs> I just don't like that the elements include the thing that it is. <laughs> I don't know. what You see, that's funny about that. Um, Four Phantoms. <laughs> Based on just the terrible time we're all having with COVID-19 and what that's doing for businesses in general. Really important to support small businesses if you can. So if you are able to stop by in Western Mass, curbside pickup is a thing you can do. Pretty cool. The brand new IPA Thaw is now available exclusively for curbside pickup at Bergie Brews, which is on uh, 4 Main Street in Williamsburg, Mass, 01096. Uh, The website is burgerbrews.hrpos.heartland.us which is a, uh, a domain that exists. And you can visit them, check it out there. They also have Four Phantoms Pineapple Pink Guava Sour Johnny Flip Flops available too. Ooh. So definitely check that out. Really any businesses that are able to do takeout delivery stuff that you should definitely check out because you want to try and keep them afloat while all this is happening. But you also want to keep social distancing happening as well. Both are very important. And Four Phantoms is uh, one of the companies that is doing some of this cool beer stuff. So Yes, indeed. They also um, want you to know that you've, if you happen to be a service industry worker, a musician, an artist, anyone who may be currently suffering very badly because of COVID-19 and now just trying to escape reality into podcasts <laughs> and thus listening to us, uh, you can reach out at fourphantomsbeer at gmail.com to arrange a pickup of some free beer for yourself um again you'll have to live in western mass or at least travel there to grab the goods at that same curbside pickup location which we'll put up on this episode's page and finally just because buying alcohol in general is weird right now please if you've tried four phantoms before or if you're just feeling in a good mood do leave them a favorable and creative review at untapped.com that's Mm -hmm. u-n-t-a-p-p-d Com. We'll link to that too. Indeed. That's sort of the Yelp of beer and uh, it really helps. Much as we have beggared your support through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, 
uh, reviews on Untapped really help breweries and beers make their mark and catch more of an audience. So, uh, yeah, Four Phantoms, we appreciate you. We love you. Check them out. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Um, and so, allow me now to take things down a darker track. <laughs> Excellent. I'll be talking about unluckiness generators of bad luck. You know, we can think of three classic examples, which are walking under a ladder, set aside a building, or just standing freely, Mm -hmm. breaking a mirror, which is said to give you seven years of bad luck, or as you mentioned earlier, Jake, a black cat, specifically crossing one's path. Mm -hmm. I figure I'll talk more about the origins of these and other omens maybe next time, but what does it mean to have bad luck? In other words, what can it mean to be sort of straight up cursed? What is being cursed? What are its origins? A curse itself is any expressed wish that some form of adversity or misfortune, bad luck, will befall or more likely basically attach itself to a person, Mm. place, or, if you're asking me, thing. (laughs) So we've all likely heard of the curse of the mummy's tomb or some variation on this theme, but Mm. I will just read a little bit more about that for anyone out there who hasn't heard of it or needs a refresher we escaped one such curse back in october oh yeah yes indeed we escaped it just barely actually no with fucking aplomb I'll <laughs> yeah, say. we had like 20 minutes to spare or something we had even we more smashed that curse yeah. this was an escape room yeah <laughs> that jake and i did and and crushed um so and we would brag. have we probably would have done it in like half the time total half the if, time if part of if the it thing fucking had worked correctly. right yeah we we asked for our clues you know what? i'm just gonna talk about it now we asked for clues <laughs> We had solved it correctly. The thing just wasn't working right. And the guy would be like, yeah, just uh, just keep doing what you're doing. And we're like, thank you, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, could have had a better PR, but we'll just have to do it again next time. That's right. Anyway, the actual curse of the mummy's tomb. According to some reports, the tomb of King Tutankhamun was guarded by a stone inscribed with an ominous threat. Death shall come on swift wings to him who disturbs the peace of the king. Undeterred, Egyptologists Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon opened the tomb to worldwide fanfare in 1922. Shortly thereafter, however, strange, which is to say horrible fates, (laughs) befell those who had entered the tomb. Lord Carnarvon died four months later while in Egypt from an infected mosquito bite. Mm -hmm. And sure, he may have already been in poor health, but he did die. <laughs> and apparently, just hours after his death back in England, Carnarvon's beloved dog, Susie, let out a yelp and promptly died. Expedition financier George J. Gould, the first, died of a fever six months after visiting the tomb. Wolf Joel, a South African millionaire, was murdered a few months after his visit. A.C. Mace, a member of Carter's archaeological team, was killed by arsenic poisoning. Carter's personal secretary was found smothered in his bed seven years after the opening. Um, And yeah, lots of people dying. Mm -hmm. Very much in line with what was said on that purported stone. Especially people really like to latch on to the swift wings part of it and like, oh, a mosquito bite killed Lord. I was like, oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. But But Howard Carter never died. He still, he never died. He's still alive. No, he- um, He's still going? No, uh, Howard Carter didn't die like- Everyone else seemed to be from the crowd. I'm pretty sure he just like lived a full life. Um, let's ignore that fact for a second okay. and realize this was all due to the Pharaoh's curse. Right, exactly. 
Uh, also, we can ignore the fact that the vast majority of people who were involved in this expedition <laughs> live long and healthy lives. Yep. <laughs> but this is, of course, forgetting the equally true and real fact that curses have essentially a blast radius, which is equivalent to their evilness and spookiness. <laughs> They're all just lucky, if you ask me. <laughs> but right, there you have it. Being cursed is essentially being promised that something bad at some point will happen to you <laughs> exactly it is putting a severely personal spin on otherwise purely chance events that also happen to be totally shitty mm-hmm. again we can get into the sort of science of the mindset around this next week yeah for now how about we check in with a redditor who believes mm-hmm. that they are straight up cursed nice. this is user i are so confused <laughs> writing on the forever alone forum <laughs> Quote, I genuinely feel like I'm cursed or something. Around age 14, literally everything in my life just started to go absolutely horribly. Virtually everything that I've done since then has just gone as horribly as possible. I was starting to become forever alone before then, around age 12. But when I was around 14, something happened, and now everything is just a fucking disaster. Puberty? Yeah, I think that's I think that's what he's trying to say, <laughs> is puberty, 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 puberty. <laughs> I'm not generally superstitious, and I'm usually a pretty logical person, but I'm honestly scared now. (laughs) Classic. Uh, It just keeps getting worse. I'm starting to wonder if there is something to that law of attraction stuff, where you attract certain things based on your mental energy. Hmm. Maybe I got into a negative mindset, and now I just keep attracting worse and worse things, priming. I also became an atheist around age 14 after being a Christian until then and praying daily. What if there is some kind of God that is angry at me or something? Maybe it's not the Christian God, but praying to something out there was helping me. And then I stopped, and now I'm fucked. I feel like an (laughs) idiot for saying this stuff, but I just don't get it. I don't know what I did. Every time I do anything, I'll ask, what's the worst that could happen? And it will be worse than I could have even imagined. (laughs) I seriously feel like I'm being punished for something, and I'm scared that it's going to get way worse. I'm already almost certain I'll be alone my entire life and never get a girlfriend or friends, but the curse seems to go beyond even that. I thought I had it bad before now, but I'm getting tons of health issues, even though I take good care of myself. I just don't know what I did. I'm sorry. Please make it stop. I feel so helpless, I just don't know what to do. I hate this already. Please don't let it get any worse. Did he say how old he is? Um, no. I like to imagine that he's like 15. <laughs> he's 15, yeah. He's 14 and two days old. <laughs> but yes, uh, I think we now are thoroughly versed on what it means to get and be cursed. Mm-hmm. And I can finally reveal that I've made indirect contact with EA Coetting, <laughs> which you'll be happy and excited to learn is a self-described, self-made living god of absolute power oh, and who is a straight-up real user of magic spelled Uh (laughs) M-A-G-I-C-K. And among the many things, or sorry, among the many amazing resources he offers at his excellent site, becomealivinggod.com, he provides a treatise on curses entitled 12 Classic Signs and Symptoms That You're Suffering the Malicious Curse of a Baneful Magician. Ellipsis, (laughs) consult my curse checklist to diagnose extraction before onset of trauma. Oh boy. Which is pretty much as short a title as he could have made, given the (laughs) things he had to communicate. Yep. He, in that article, presents an open letter to the public, which I will now read. Dear friend, I'm sure at some point in life you've stood back and helplessly watched as your whole life crumbled down around you. Your career, 
Your relationship start to fall apart. Your savings and investments drained just to keep the lights on. Not even able to figure out how you're going to pay your rent or settle your mortgage payment. Of course, at these moments, it's not just finances and intimate relationships that suffer. Instead of stopping there, whatever malevolent force that is plowing through your life also decides that your car should break down, your children fall ill, your dog turns up missing, and a tooth starts to ache. I wish it was like every single one of those things breaks down. Your car breaks down, your kids break down, your kids your break dog. down, your dog breaks down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and nothing that you do makes any difference. You can work 10 times harder. You can put forth a thousand times more effort than ever before, but you can't seem to hold back the flood of destruction from your life. Come mm. on, admit it. At some point or another, when everything you've worked and sacrificed for is falling down around you, you've secretly and silently asked yourself, could I be cursed? <laughs> if you're like me, and like it or not, you just might be then the last thing you'd want to do is to admit this fear to anyone else. Curses? That's just crazy talk. But the question still nags in the back of your mind. When my clients get settled in for a personal and private consultation with me, though, I've noticed that one of the top five most asked questions is, Am I cursed? <laughs> in the moment of what feels like a tidal wave of disaster pummeling through your life, being cursed might even seem like the most logical explanation. However, what I've also taken notice of is that out of the overwhelming amount of people who ask me if they're cursed, a very slim percentage actually turn out to be... Go figure. Placing a successful curse on another person is possibly one of the most difficult ritual feats a black magician can perform. That is specifically a person practicing black magic. Yes. Like, oh, it seems like it could go more than one way. Not only will you likely have to gather obscure fetish items. Oh, no. Specific ritual tools and personal links to your intended victim. But in order to really curse someone, you're going to have to do some serious hard work. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not talking about manual labor. And yes, at this point, maybe you are thinking at home as I'm reading this letter. Whoa, I thought he was about to help me cure my curse. Now I feel like he's setting up for how I can curse someone, and you're <laughs> right. He is doing that. The hard work that I'm referring to is spiritually and psychologically exhausting. Really, there are two paths that you can go down to put an effective curse on your enemy. <laughs> the two paths of an effective curse. Path one, you'll need to build up an overwhelming amount of hatred towards your victim. And then, through the ritual, you'll have to let that hatred flow through your body into the world, directed through your ritual symbols and links toward your victim. As our old friend Sheev Palpatine says, let the hate flow through you. Indeed. This is pretty much Palpatine trying to give you uh, psychotherapy right now. <laughs> As the emotion pushes through your physical vessel, you start pooping. It sets your enemy, your every cell on fire with rage. Shaking your body, driving you momentarily insane with anger. As the power of these feelings is pushed into the ritual pooping, you'll have to lose all control over your body. Your mouth spontaneously screaming bloodlust, your arms flailing to destroy the effigies, every muscle tight with pooping, and every vein pulsing. Once the hatred is gone, though, you are far from the end of your journey. The passing of the destructive emotions gives way to buried feelings of hurt, loss, sadness, loneliness, and the like. <laughs> screams, he's like, I run out of words. <laughs> and screams turn to sobs, 
and you realize that what you have done is irrevocable. Your victim is going to die. <laughs> and often at this juncture, you'll realize the infantilism of your magical actions. Magical spelled M-A-G-I-C-K-A-L. Magical. <laughs> sure, in some cases, curses are called for. But if we're still being honest with each other, I think we can both admit that those cases are few and far between. With that in mind, let me now tell you path number two. <laughs> If hatred either isn't there in the first place, or if it can't be circulated through your system hard enough and fast enough to cause the necessary psychic explosion, <laughs> the other option is exactly the opposite. Non-attachment. <laughs> Enter the crossroads, invoke the spirits of death, and direct them to your enemy with no emotion, not a hint of anger, no thought for their suffering, no lingering on the past harm that they have done. You must divorce yourself entirely from all human sensitivity. You must become stone, directing the very essence of your victim's demise towards them as they sleep. You must become a hunter of humans, a sinister predator unmoved by the horror of your own actions oh, and equally unmoved by the injustice of the actions of others toward you. Through this avenue, the curse is performed out of real necessity as all emotion has been removed. Such an internal compartmentalization is difficult, if not impossible, for most people, as is the ability to push these powers without the aid of the emotions. Mm -hmm. Through discipline and persistence, though, it can be mastered. Whichever of these two your supposed magical attacker may use against you, the one thing that you can be sure of is that he or she is going to have to work hard to get you in fact in order to successfully curse someone your desire for their destruction must be greater than their desire for self-preservation and you're still going to have to learn how to push power in a way that few magicians are even capable of and this must explain why donald trump has not been killed by a curse just yet <laughs> what this means for you the possible victim of a curse is that in reality the work that goes into a successful curse makes it quite unlikely that you have done anything so offensive to the one of the very small minority of black magic practitioners capable of laying a powerful curse on you. The most common <laughs> causes of sudden and unprovoked devastation of your affairs in life in order of most to least. <laughs> Here's our checklist. All right. Your own conscious or unconscious mismanagement of your affairs. Self-sabotage that travels through the root of spiritually manifesting disorder in your life, usually as a means to avoid some other perceived pain or discomfort. Often, the fear of being cursed causes you, the supposed victim, to supernaturally work against yourself. This is especially <laughs> true for those who are dabblers or newcomers in the occult and is exponentially accelerated. If you have first-hand knowledge of the magical successes of your assumed attacker, in the end, most magicians don't have to perform the ritual of a curse at all because the offending party will go about killing themselves through their fear of the curse. <laughs> That's number three, I think. All of that. <laughs> Energetic fluctuations in your invisible, intangible environment should also be observed as the natural ebb and flow of these magical energies can offset any physical actions that you might be taking. If you do a bit of research, you might also find some interesting correlations between the periods of downfall in your life and specific astrological or elemental alignments. Lastly, I think that was 12. Oh wait, no, this isn't the checklist. There is a chance that a curse is active and is responsible for your problems. Note that this is the least likely scenario. To his weird credit, he does say that a actual curse is the least likely thing. There's a brief window there where I, th I was thinking he was going to actually make this all a big elaborate way to get at just like a totally um, rational explanation. 
We start out saying, oh, it could be that you were just unconsciously uh, just fucking up sometimes, and that happens to anybody. But then exactly. he just he, kept digging deeper. <laughs> that's just the thing. He is sort of like, he's sort of the oddball sitting just a few seats down from the reasonable answer on a yeah. bus, <laughs> and just like the reasonable answer is trying to have a conversation with him, and he's like, no, 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 no not right now. Not right now. <laughs> Still believe you're cursed? Rifle through my curse checklist. So, Jake, <laughs> can I ask you and see if you're feeling cursed right now? Sure. Below are 12 classic signs of a baneful curse. <laughs> Do you feel like you've had sudden, unusual, and constant, quote-unquote, bad luck? Yes. Do, are you suffering from physical, psychological, and emotional fatigue, which is not alleviated with sleep, eating, exercise, or even medication? Yes. Are you having sudden financial difficulties? <laughs> yes. <laughs> are you having vivid and terrifying nightmares? Uh, No, I guess I'll, not that one. So you're at a 3F12 right now. Okay. Sleep paralysis repeating for at least three consecutive days. No. Dwelling on depressing or even suicidal thoughts and feelings inconsistent with your natural emotional and mental state. Inconsistent with? No. <laughs> <laughs> Are family and friends distancing themselves from you for no reason? Um, that is a reason. <laughs> Everyone's doing it. I'll have up you to four. Okay. Do you sense a constant feeling of anxiety, not traceable to any mundane source or circumstance, but a sudden sense of impending harm? Yes. Five. The disappearance of deaths or household pets. What? Wait. Oh, the disappearance or deaths. Yeah. I, oh, man. <laughs> have you found a disappearance or death of a household pet or perhaps a plant? Uh, well, our lithops plant does seem to have died, so. Make that six. Okay. Any unexplained family deaths? Uh, no. Only explained ones, huh? Yeah. <laughs> An increase in peripheral entity detection, seeing shadow people more often and in greater numbers than usual for you, Jake. A uh, greater number than usual, not yet, no. Okay. Keep it at six. An increase in poltergeist activity in your home or <laughs> former workplace because you're so homeless now. I mean, workless now. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's per currently a pretty uh, pretty standard level. amount of poltergeist yeah. activity. So you're like at a six. Even okay. with all of these telltale signs, though, there is one fail-safe means of finding out whether or not you have been cursed, Jake. Mm -hmm. Sit in meditation. Mm. Enter the theta gamma trance state, disconnecting with the physical world and linking up to the worlds of spirit. Quiet your mind and quiet your emotions. In complete internal silence and peace, ask yourself if you are cursed. <laughs> the answer will rise spontaneously. Remember that this is not something that you're asking your emotions to tell you, but you are asking the highest part of yourself, the living God part of yourself that is omniscient. That part of yourself is never afraid, never weak, never worried. So if the answer comes to you in the form of panic, then you haven't sunk deep enough into yourself to connect <laughs> with your godlike mind. All right, let me just try this real quick. Yeah, go for it. Let's see. He does appear to be floating up out of his chair, I have to say. I guess it's thug life is what that means in the THG. Uh, so, I feel like... Uh, maybe well, probably, yeah. yeah, probably. Oh, boy. Well, let's see what else he has to say. Most of the time, if you're even a little bit sensitive psychically, you will feel the energy of the cursing moving towards you, trespassing into your home, pressing against your forehead, the immeasurable pressure bearing down on you, much like a drill boring into the earth when you're trapped 300 feet below, <laughs> trying to force you to give up and let it take control wow. of your body to make you poop. <laughs> if you can sense this, then recognize it for being a curse and repel it using any banishing ritual that you are comfortable with and confident about. <laughs> and the curse will progress no further, despite the other person 
like shitting their pants with strain to curse you. <laughs> I wonder if the banishing rituals are at all similar to the clearing rituals for the ghosts. That was just what I was thinking too. Yeah. Get rid of the curse with some salt. Yeah. He goes on a little more, but please make use of my availability for personal consultations so we can determine once and for all whether you are cursed. And if you are, I can help free you from its effects forever. Find the black magicians, black magic practitioners. I can help free you from its effects forever and bind the black magic practitioners who have attacked you so that their rituals will be impotent against you. All probably for some substantial amount of money. (laughs) I'll talk to you again soon. Your friend, E.A. Coating. (laughs) And I just want to offer that I'm working on a website now called unbecomingaliving.god.com for people who have become living gods but want to go back to just being regular people again. There you go. Helpful. And yeah, that's the uh, hot take from my side of things today, Jake. Hope that was stuff. okay. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed hearing uh, about both the light and dark side of all of this yes. uh, stuff and hopefully you guys have uh, enjoyed the beginning of this journey with us. And uh, yeah, next week we will dive in to some more of the history, some more of the science uh, surrounding luck, chance, superstition, both good and bad, Mm -hmm. and uh, why it's just so infectious, that belief system for each and every one of us in one way or another. In the meantime, stay safe, stay at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go out, try to make it only for things that you absolutely need. Call your family, call your friends. Everyone wants some some love right now. Can't yeah. hurt. And uh, yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. And goodbye. Bye.